0: but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe. Those willing to be uncertain for an hour. And as my pretty princess says, she's always ready to be uncertain. (laughs) I'm Eldon Taylor and this is Provocative Enlightenment. And my partner, Ravinder, is here in the studio with me, so, Rav... Say hello to everyone, share some of your special insight into uncertainty, and tell everyone how they can learn more about our show.
1: Uncertain indeed. Yeah, I think that's part of being wise, actually, because you have to be open to different ideas. If you think you know everything already, well, then you can't learn anything, can you? So as they always used to say, keep your mouth shut and your ears open and you'll learn some stuff. So.
0: so are you saying you're wise?
1: I'm working at it. I'm wiser than I used to be.
0: Hey, happy Mother's Day from yesterday, and I think you're wise. So go on.
1: Thank you. Now I've got a long way to go, but as I said, it's a working process, and that's what our radio show is all about it's about learning more and being open to something new and i think that's fabulous i really like that but um yeah if you want more information about the show you can go simply to provocativeenlightenment.com and you can see all the archives of the old shows and everything else that that we have done or you can come to our facebook page again it's simply provocative enlightenment radio just do a search for that and you'll find us um Any information that the guest of the day can provide, you know, we will put up in there just to make it easier for you. I totally understand how difficult it is to get down URLs and website addresses and all the other details when they're talking about it online on on the air. So uh, I do post that information on the Facebook Provocative Enlightenment radio show. And, of course, if you have questions, you can put them in there, too. So uh, pop in there and say hello.
0: All right. In this week's Spotlight, I want to address the fine line between feeling remorse and falling into the abyss of self-pity. One might ask, is there any advantage to be gained by feeling remorse? And one might also fairly ask, What is the difference between self-pity and remorse? So let's begin by examining those two questions. Remorse is generally defined as deep regret or even guilt for a wrong committed. Now many in today's world find guilt to be an unnecessary and damaging human condition. But is it? Guilt is an emotional feeling that arises only when we perceive a particular form of discomfort, typically as a result of a wrong we feel we have done. It is somewhat analogous to pain, a feeling we perceive as the result of a different form of discomfort. Pain is itself a signal informing us of important information, information critical to our health and well-being. Guilt is much the same. It informs us of our desire to be happier with ourselves and therefore our sense of well-being. As such, guilt does have a natural and important role in our lives, but not one we need to cling to. That said, if we repeat behavior that we are ashamed of, we are likely to feel guilt again, just as placing our hand a second time on a hot burner will give rise to physical pain. And is this not a good thing? Do any of us truly wish to become so desensitized that we are desensitized to wrongs? Therefore, remorse arises as a result of actions we feel that betray the person we want to be. When we feel remorseful, it is because we failed ourselves. Now, to be sure, the form of guilt I'm addressing is of our own personal failings and not you know, the guilt others might want to foist upon us. Now here's where poor pitiful me can destroy the benefit gained from remorse. It is indeed a slippery slope when we allow our regrets to impale our sense of worth, or when we gain the ability to claim a kind of victimhood to life's circumstances. Self-pity is simply disempowered. We must rightly recognize our errors, and this gives rise to remorse. But as with pain, we can alter the signal by taking responsibility for our actions and by choosing differently in preparation to eliminate the behavior in the future. How do we do that? That is, how do we accept responsibility, sense enough, Regret that we define ourselves differently as to avoid ever repeating the action. Whatever it is that we felt remorse for. The answer lies in understanding two things. First, the importance of forgiveness. And second, realizing the power given us every day to begin anew. I have written much about forgiveness, but the bottom line comes down to this reciprocity. We learn that the value of forgiving ourselves arises from our willingness to forgive all others. When we find forgiveness in our heart for others, we obtain the capacity to extend it to ourselves. As for renewal, every day offers each of us an opportunity to become better human beings, to more closely fit our lives to the ideals that we hold dear. Whether we decide to do this every day or not matters little to whether or not another day comes. In other words, if today is Tuesday, tomorrow will be Wednesday, regardless of your decision to be a better person, to climb higher on your ladder of self-actualization, or to improve your opinion of who you are based on what you do. Given this understanding, a person may begin to ask themselves, as I do, how high is up how good is good when you ask this of yourself if you're at all like me you'll find many opportunities to improve to give more to help more etc those are my thoughts what are yours ravinder
1: i think that's a great piece that you just went through um there are things in there that i have worked on all, all my life um I decided when I was pretty young that I wouldn't have regrets. And that isn't to say that um, I don't feel bad over certain things I've done. But I think the important bit is to learn from it and to move forward. So, yeah, I've made mistakes in my life. There are things that are painful for me, but if I can turn it into that determination that I won't repeat that mistake again, it becomes pretty strong for me. That It, it just works for me. I don't believe in beating myself up over over stuff. Um, I'm just really determined that I won't repeat stuff again. And then w- when you go on to how good is good, well that again is something that I've been thinking about a lot because the majority of us think that we are good people. But how high is up and so I often tell myself what am I not seeing here what could I do better how can I be gooder, good-er. <laughs> dreadful word <laughs> you, you, you see what I mean um I think it's fabulous I, I think there's a great deal of food for thought there and it's something that we can all benefit from
0: all right every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our show featured the book and course, Know Thyself, with Professor Mitchell Green. Jonathan wrote, I loved your guest. He was right there with you throughout the show with some wonderful insight. I'm going to enroll in his free Coursera course. I took that course, Jonathan. You're going to love it. May wrote, I love Coursera, but somehow I missed Professor Green's class. You can count. I'm going to find it now. Richard wrote, you have been having some super shows. I hope so, Richard. Moving on, Scott wrote, your guided meditation, hypnosis, MP3s are keeping us sane during this time. Thank you. Anne wrote, hey, Alden, I come from a long line of nature lovers who meditate. And oh, my God, I love, love, love your products and the beautiful messages you send to me are truly works of art. I have a small tribe of some 3,000 people on my list that I will recommend to you. Well, thank you, Ann, and all of you for your comments and letters. Okay, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today. But we do love your feedback, so please keep it coming. You can opine by sending me an email at eldon at com. That's E-L-D-O-N at com, Or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. We do sincerely appreciate your comments and suggestions. Now to today's show, How to Suffer with William Arntz. So let me tell you a little about William. William Arntz is a physicist, software entrepreneur, filmmaker, and author. He wrote simulators for the early Star Wars program, created software that the Fortune 500 world runs on, and created the What the Bleep Do We Know? Movie and books, author Lynn McTaggart said this about William's new book, How to Suffer quote as hilarious, irreverent, and wise a book on how we make ourselves suffer as you're ever going to read, and it is precisely that it lives up to it lives up to Lynn's definition. okay on that, let's get our guest in here. Welcome to provocative enlightenment, Mr. William Arntz.
2: Well, thank you for having me here. Good to be here.
0: <clears throat> we like to know three things on this show, Will. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use that? So to begin, what are you passionate about and why?
2: Well, what I am passionate about, and this, this changes. Um, right now, I am passionate about uh, the, this book that I wrote much to my surprise that I wrote it. And really, you know, having people become more aware of the suffering that they all go through and what it does to their life, and, and it is really something we all, we all have and we all need to deal with. So um, that's, that's passionate, uh, one thing I'm passionate about. And, and right now I'm also passionate about, you know, what's going on in our world. And obviously our world has been turned upside down, topsy-turvy. It's bringing so many things to the surface that have been lurking about forever. And so, you know, the, the becoming aware of that and anything that, you know, I can do to to help people out from stuff that I've learned, um, I'd like to do. So that's what I'm passionate about.
0: You know, I've been pretty focused for the last couple of months in social networking on just humor, you know, just just share some humor. Because, as you point out, with COVID, it's, um, you know, there there are a lot of things that have been festering underneath that now you've stopped the waters from flowing uh, are raising to the top. And, uh, you know, people see this as a time of suffering. Uh, do you see it that same way or what's your interpretation on it? Well, my interpretation
2: is that uh, I was on an interview yesterday, and I said, "I said I, I think materialism has been giving its walking papers." And what I mean by that is, you know, the the society that we've been in, we've been we've been on this jag of more and more and more, you know, more bigger, better, um, and just you know, being busy all the time, something going on, more and more and more, and we basically got the brake slammed on that. And so as a society, everyone is suddenly like, whoa, all the habits that we have that that sort of people base their life around are suddenly, most of them have been taken away. So, you know, you go on a spiritual retreat um, in order to transform and learn stuff, and in a retreat, you retreat from your life in order to get a better view. Well, basically, humanity has just been put in a retreat, and as you know from being in a retreat, stuff—part of it—is like you mentioned. Stuff comes to the surface. Things that you've been, you've been ignoring or pretending weren't there, or distracting with activity or drugs or whatever. You know, all that stuff now comes to the surface. So yes, uh, it's it's a time of suffering because that's that's what that's what you know that happens. And and I was listening to what you said earlier about guilt. And I agree with all that, that, you know, the guilt is a form, of course, of suffering, but it can, it, it used properly leads you to evolve and to become better. And so I think we have an opportunity right now, individually and as a society to evolve and get better, but it's not going to be easy. That's for sure.
0: No kidding. America 2.0 is going to be a different world. This this may seem like a, a simple and even silly question, Will, but given that many people fail to recognize that they're suffering and or they've become so addicted to suffering, you know, that and, and used it, you know, like to gain attention. Given that, please describe what you mean by suffering. In other words, let's get a definition out here. Because I mean, we just go back to COVID. Some people might be really concerned about how they're going to feed their children because they've lost their job, didn't have savings and uh, or used it up, et cetera. And in a sense, you know, that, that kind of anticipatory anxiety is, is pretty, you know, that's real in a sense. And, and other people, on the other hand, they just, you know... They're bored. They have time on their hands. What they said, they always wanted more time. They now have have more time with my family. They now have. They're not in the same threatening situation. So I I think we need a definition. What do you mean by suffering?
2: Well, it's funny that that when you actually get into it, what is suffering? And... And you know, there's there's physical suffering. Well, we know that. Um, Well, there's physical pain, but physical pain doesn't necessarily go into suffering. Some people are in physical pain, and they can. World class athletes are in pain all the time, and pain that you or I would be moaning about—that's just part of what they do. So, um, but suffering is an internal state. It's something internal. And it can be caused by something physical, something emotional, something mental, something spiritual. But it is a profound sense of uh, disquiet or happiness that affects one very deeply. And it it really seems to get to the very internal part of who someone is. When you say, I'm suffering, you say, okay, who is it that's suffering? What is it in you that is suffering? You know, the example you gave of someone who um, can't go to work, they have no income, they have a, a family to feed that they, you know, obviously care about. I mean, that's, that's yeah, I mean, if that happened to me, I would I would be suffering. And so when you ask people to say, what is it in you, that is suffering, to go inside and feel it, to sense it. For everyone, on the one hand, it's different, but then again, for humanity, it's what we all share. We all have our moments of suffering. Um, The thing that I realized in writing the book, and in myself in the process of doing so, is we kind of rarely deal with it directly. You know, people either go to blame you know, they, they blame something. You were talking about that earlier. You go to blame or or they go into victimhood or or they turn to distractions or drugs or whatever to avoid it. But the actual suffering is a very quiet internal state that, you know, we all run into. According to Buddha, life is suffering. So, um it's kind of hard to put your finger exactly on it.
0: Okay, then, but then.
2: Everyone can.
0: That triggers in my mind you know, you use a quote in your book that I'm familiar with and that I think is, you know, uh, particularly relevant to your comments just now. So I'm going to jump a, a bit ahead. What do you mean by suffer valiantly? Suffer
2: valiantly. Um, I think that was the quote from Shakespeare, right? That's correct. Um, yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of ways to, when you're suffering, um, a lot of people just go into reaction. They just suffer, so they either go into blame or victimhood or they, they're stoic or something. So it, you can choose how you react to your suffering. And you can make that a choice based on your awareness, but it's a conscious choice. So the valiant, suffering valiantly would be not, not blaming um, something external for what's going on. And it would be looking for the lesson within the suffering, because I've come to realize that, you know, at the bottom, all you, you always ask the question, why is there suffering in this world? And it appears that it is there to goad us on to evolving. And so, when you suffer valiantly, instead of blaming someone or something else, you say, "Okay, there's there's something here that I have to learn. It's painful, and you know, being valiant is something that with you you can stand the pain to do something greater." In this case, for the individual, that's something greater would be taking the lesson that is there to learn and uh, and going with it.
0: So basically, you're taking a stoic perspective. If, if, for example, you're suffering from covid itself and, um, you know, this is physical pain. And of course, there's a lot of mental anguish because you're concerned about survivability, leaving your family behind, uh, whether, you know, you, perhaps your preparedness to cross over, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh, but you're saying, you're taking the attitude that um, I'm responsible for how I live through this or how I die through this, uh, and it's not something that I should be looking at the outward world uh, to justify my suffering. Did I get that right?
2: Kind of right. Kind well, of right. Refine it, it for me. It, you know, when you have something, you know, someone who is, they're ill. They're, they're ill. And, and it, right now, COVID, of course, is everything. But, you know, it's the, it's the planet where everyone dies. So we, all, we are all going to, to face death at some point. So then, the question is: Okay, facing it, as you face it, you can face it and be uh, freaked out and you know upset or something. But also, there's the thing is when you you face, they say, "Oh, I could die suddenly." That changes your perspective on everything. It makes things that maybe you were once very worried about you realize, well, that's trivial. I mean, why am I worrying about my neighbor painted their house a color I don't like? Uh, suddenly, in the face of death, that becomes trivial. So it, it's a way in which to basically reframe what you find important in that. So you can use that. You can use the illness for that, any illness or discomfort for that. Um, or again the other the other side of that is then you just you, you know you're miserable and 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 um you know maybe blame the Chinese for eating bats or what, whatever it is um and you don't really use the lesson intrinsic in that. Did, that did that that clarified it at all for you
0: well let's see if we can't just kind of differentiate different situations and we'll utilize that to clarify I think right. he still sounded very much like a stoic but hey, okay some people just simply put on a happy face and they seem to be oblivious or unconscious of their suffering uh, a form of denial why is that?
2: because the suffering is so is so uh, painful it's so disquieting it's so upsetting that they just can't they, they push it out of their mind. They push it out of their awareness, and they turn to other things, like you said. You put on a happy face. Um, that is a form uh, of denial. And denial, generally, from what I've seen, ends up not working out so well because the reality of the situation is different. And, you know, when you're not dealing in reality, you're dealing in a fantasy as it were, um, things tend not to work out well.
0: So, if we don't reconcile it, it doesn't go away. Um, and even though it might be psychological, that that psychological or emotional state is very definitely influencing our body. Um, we're, you, you know, Exciting the wrong neurochemicals and compromising our immune, our ANS, etc. Have I got that right?
2: Yes, that's it. And it's the shadow. You know, it's a shadow in our psyche. And as we know, when you have these dark shadows in there, um, they make us do all kinds of stuff that we're not conscious of. It's a shadow. And those things can and often do just destroy a life.
0: That's right. Robert Bly, long bag. Okay, we have a break coming up. Um, we're speaking with Mr. William Arnst about his work and book, How to Suffer in Ten Easy Steps. It's really a great book. In the second half, we're going to get into some of his, his humor. You can learn more about our guest and his books by visiting his site at HowToSuffer, as one word, HowToSuffer.info. Okay, do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're
1: listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
0: Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with William Arnst about his work and book, How to Suffer in Ten Easy Steps. You can learn more about our guest and his books by visiting How to Suffer as one word, How to Okay. Every week, we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. Music psychology is a field of research with practical relevance in many areas including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. So on that, your chosen music. Will is Waylon Jennings in Lukenbach, Texas. Tell us, why is this music important to you? And more importantly, how does it inform us about who you are? Well... It, I started
2: listening, I don't listen that much to country music, but, you know, it just came up on the Pandora channel, I don't know, a couple years ago, and I just stopped and I just listened to it. The successful life we're living has us fighting like the Hatfields and McCoys. Yep. And I just said, you know, that just sums up so much of what I see going on in the world, that everyone is so so into being successful and so running around and so pushed to that, you know, and they said, let's get back to the basics of love. And so that because of that, you know, people would just do and, and you know, couples are fighting and they're fighting with their kids and there's just so much in this drive to, I mentioned that earlier, get more and more, more and more. That and just, that just sums it up for me. And it's particularly now when basically – like I said, you know, the society of the world has been kind of put on, has been sent to Luke and Bach, Texas, and, you know, to rediscover what's really important. I mean, I've heard, um, I heard uh, Governor Cuomo on the news a few weeks ago saying, I had a conversation with my daughter, a two-hour conversation. We just sat and talked for two hours. I don't know if i have ever done that. You know, get to get back to the basics of love. Let's get back to the the basics of what is really important to people and what really gives us uh, meaning and joy in, in our lives. And so that's that's why I picked that song.
0: Most country western music has some kind of moral message in it. I love country music. I, I you know, I'm I'm one of these people that if I'm driving in my car and it's just background, well. That's jazz for me, and I'm fortunate. We have a really good jazz station here. If I'm studying, well, that's classical music for me, Adagio Largo. Um, but if I'm in my truck, I've got country western on. You know, we're just like when we change our clothes, we change a little bit of who, who we are, our persona. Uh, It was a great message. I agree with you. It's a wonderful song. I want to double back a little bit, Will. Before the break, uh, we're talking about denial. And, you know, denial is is a coping strategy. Sometimes those coping strategies can be healthy, though. And I didn't want to leave it with where we had. So let's take a little bit of a different example. Uh, Loss of a loved one. It's a grieving process. That is definitely suffering. Sometimes, would you agree that it's okay to put it out of your mind, as as a part of the coping method to get some distance before I really integrate it?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And in fact, um, the second half of my book—you know—the first half it talks about the ten easy steps to. Suffer, You know, the idea like blame and whatnot, Um, that's obviously you do the opposite. But the second half of the book I call, say, The Six Slippery Steps to End Suffering. And the reason they're slippery is because you have to employ wisdom to decide when to do it, when to surrender to something, when not to. So the denial is actually one of those slippery steps. You're absolutely right. Sometimes it's just too much. It's just too much to deal with it and look at it, and you just need to take a break and that's where that's really why the wisdom of when to uh when to do it and when not to do it I mean in another country western song comes to mind, know when to hold 'em, know when to fold 'em yep you know that's Candy Rogers. yeah, and that's the to, to to know. When it's just too much, it's, it's just, it's, uh, you, you just can't deal with the, the loss of a loved one. And so just go to a movie, you know, just go take a break. And that's, in, in all of this in our lives, we have to know, you know, when to do that, when to, when to surrender to something that happens. You know, the example I, I give is like surrender is like, well, in the, you know, the early 60s, civil rights movement you know some people said well this is just the way it is you know they told african-americans this is the way it is just surrender to it and someone said no we're not going to surrender to this this is wrong and we're going to do something about it so all of these strategies to uh, deal with suffering there's no formula there's no formula and this is where you know wisdom comes in
0: all right Speaking of wisdom, I think one of the I mean, again, we're differentiating the different types of suffering, but but there can be advantages that are gained from suffering. I mean, there's some folks that, you know, for all intent and purposes, they gain a great deal of attention. They may feel important. They find others to share their suffering and so forth. Yeah, you know, I have a lie detection examiner friend. I was a lie detection examiner for years um, in uh, Australia. That, that teaches courses to law enforcement, and he actually has a metaphor for that. And that metaphor he calls the S H Blank T cookies. This is you know the the person who's riding through life on the escalator, jumping in the air to catch another one of these S cookies so that they can share that cookie with other cookie keepers around the water fountain at work, et cetera. I mean, we've all seen that. You, you, Maybe you've been to a club or a party where there are folks gathered, and they're, you know, my day was just horrible today. You know what happened to me? and And their partner says, oh, that's so bad. But you know what happened to me today? And they just seem to find this kind of lifestyle a, a, a style of choice what do you tell those people
2: well uh... you know it, it is free will everyone gets to choose and those people there's not really too much to say because you know they're using their their suffering as a manipulation to get attention to you know maybe get money maybe to get you know whatever to get sympathy Become the center, and so they're using it um, as a as a manipulation. So all you can do is say, "Well, that's what you're doing." And some people, this also goes unconscious. There are some people, who, or often goes unconscious, who will create situations in their life where they suffer because uh, they're emotionally addicted. And my what the bleep movie we got into that. People get emotionally addicted. To different uh, states and some people are addicted to that suffering state and sure enough if they're not suffering they're going to go create a situation consciously or subconsciously um, to create that so the the, people with the victim mentality always seem to be victims because they're uh, unconsciously creating that and you know you can tell people that um, but until they want to change they're just going to you know ignore you. So to answer your question, there's not much to say after you point it out. <laughs>
0: right. So let me ask you this, then. What do you mean by there is no out there, out there?
2: There is no out there, out there. That was the famous, um, when I interviewed Fred Allen Wolf, that's what he kept saying. There's no out there, out there. Meaning that, you know, in the end, all of our perceptions, you know, we think we're we're looking out there and we're perceiving things and hearing things, and our senses tell us all this stuff. But all that is just being interpreted in our brain. And really, we're all just responding to those stimuli internally, and our responses are all internally. So that's what I mean by that, is that in the end, it all comes back to us internally, or, you know, you know, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within. It's all within. We're just distracted by, and this is one of the you know, common themes of spiritual literature, we're just all abstracted by the Maya, by the dance out of the world, but the real dance is happening internally.
0: Interesting, interesting. All right, let's, let's just go straight into your book. When I read your book and I think about your book, there's a question that that kind of comes to my mind, and and it's one I know you've been asked. Um, is your book a satire or a roast of self help books? Uh,
2: yes and no. Um, <laughs> it starts off as a roast. Um, there's a story I tell about how I how um, my wife and I actually came up with this joking about that someone needs to write a self-help book. So it really started as a, as a roast of the self-help books. So and I started writing it just to send to some of my friends who are self-help authors because I thought they'd get a, kind of a kick out of it. But as I started writing it, um, I started to realize, oh, my God, this whole subject, it really is the gorilla in the room. It really is something that people generally don't deal with directly. You know, you deal with it indirectly most of the time. And as I kept writing more and more, I started getting more into the various philosophies that were around it. Um, I also used it as an opportunity for humor and satire, because that was certainly there. And by the time I'm halfway through the book, I realize, okay, we've had enough fun with this, with the satire part of it. Um, Hopefully we've learned some things looking at ourselves and the foibles we do. And then by then, the second half of the book, of course when I get into the slippery steps, it's much more serious. It's really saying, "Okay, let's." Now that we've had fun, um, let's let's move on. Um, I wanted to keep the satire part of it because it's like when you when you make a movie, um, if the if the, the character is going through boredom, you don't want your audience to be bored. That's that's bad. So similarly, when you're writing a book about suffering, you don't want your audience, your readers, to be suffering as they read it. It's better if they have some amusement. to to get through it and then by then the second half of the book um, it really is much more serious and to the point and saying yeah the suffering I mean who wants to suffer who likes to suffer let's see what we can shed some light on it and uh, give people some tools to move through it
0: okay Will, I'm gonna put you on the spot here now for our audience out there Give us give us an example or two of the roast of self help books.
2: Pick it up well, wherever you want.
0: Start roasting.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the 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 roast is first off, you know, how to be a billionaire in seven easy steps. Yeah. Come on, everyone. I know some billionaires. If you say, hey, it was easy, right? They just they just look at you and laugh. Come on, how to find your perfect love in four easy steps. You know, it's it's kind of this thing where they're promising the world and saying it's going to be easy, and it ain't easy generally to, you know, achieve, you know, great things, to transform, to do whatever. It it's not easy. So, that's part of it, and that's part of why I said the Ten Easy Steps. Now, I say that of all the Ten Easy Steps, is the only one that actually delivers on the promise, because no one wants to suffer, yet everyone does, so therefore it must be easy. So uh, that's my claim to, to quasi-fame, infamy maybe, that of all the self-help books, mine actually delivers, because it is easy to suffer, and uh, here's, here's how to do it. So that's kind of part of the roast of it. Um, Another thing I say that a lot of the self-help books behind the cover is like how to be, how to find your true love and not suffer loneliness. How to be successful on YouTube and not suffer low self-esteem. You know, how to make billions of dollars and not suffer lack. So (laughs) suffering is kind of the hidden thing Behind a lot of these self help books, and yet they don't they don't deal with it, so I sort of point that out and and then also a, a bit of the roast is saying that you know we most people myself included um have a unconscious some conscious some unconscious idea that if I was to get everything that I want, if I could have everything I want, I wouldn't suffer and you know, and i I was going along on that track, and then you know I have it my software company I sold it made millions, okay, so I' take that off the list, and I always wanted to make a movie and make movies that so would help consciousness in the world. I did that and take that off the list, and so the two things I really wanted to accomplish that I thought would make my life wonderful I did, and then I realized, oh, huh, well, I'm glad I did them, but I still suffer. Still things come up. Still, you know, I get upset about things. I still do stupid things to people I love, and it causes me, as you were talking about earlier, guilt and remorse, um, and it should. Um, so that notion, you know, so I sort of roast that notion that so many of us have, that, gee, if I could just get it all, then I wouldn't suffer.
0: So, So your next book is not going to be how not to suffer in ten easy steps.
2: <laughs> well, that's really the uh, the second half of the book is really could be called how not to suffer in six slippery steps. And like I mentioned, <laughs> they're they're slippery because you know sometimes sometimes forgiveness is the key, and sometimes, and I talk about this in the book, forgiveness is not the key. You know. Sometimes you don't forgive until someone has made amends for what they've done. So, um, you know, and I talk about that in the the ways that um, they are they are slippery. So it's kind of two books in one, and you but you only have to buy it once.
0: I think it's a great book. You know, uh, you've got to flesh out for us now. Your suffer meter. Sufferometer, I guess that's what you call it, isn't it? A sufferometer. What is a sufferometer? It's a a sufferometer. Sufferometer. Okay. That makes better sense. Yeah,
2: I I wrote a chapter, I called it The Pseudoscience of Suffering, and I come up with charts and graphs. One of the is a graph between pain and suffering, the correlation between the two, and I talk about cycles in nature and this, and, you know, I was a physicist, so my mind goes that way. So at the end of the chapter, I say, well, any science, even a pseudoscience, needs some metric in order to gauge what you're talking about, and so um, here is my gauge of this, the sufferometer. And, you know, I sort of came about it as, as a, you know, this is part of the roast part of the book. We're having some fun, fun with suffering, so the sufferometer, and the sufferometer there's a dial on it between zero and a hundred and the idea is that you set the the dial to how much you're suffering. So I come up with this thing and I think it's kind of funny and everything and then I decide to make one just for fun. I have instructions on how to make one. You know, a little home arts and crafts project. So I make one and put it up on the refrigerator. And then I say, Well let me just start doing this. Start doing this every every morning or every afternoon i'm going to say how much i'm suffering between one and a hundred right the funny thing was i start noticing oh my god this is this is really something first off to be able to put it between one and a hundred it wasn't as easy as i thought it would be first off secondly i noticed that i would put it at like 65 and then i'd say well yeah, I'm suffering about this. And then I'd look at that and say, that's not that's not really worth a 65. Why am I suffering about this? This is just stupid. And I would just let it go, and I'd have to move it down to 30. And I started noticing that actually, again, I talk about uh, bringing it to awareness, that by actually having to peg where you are, how much you're suffering, um... It was really useful. And then my wife said, oh, well, maybe I should have one. So we made one for her. We put it on the refrigerator. And now we joke. We know, like, you know, if you come into the kitchen and you see your spouse's sufferometer up at about 95, you know to tread tread lightly. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's down to two, then it's time to bring up that stuff. Honey, I think, I think there's... I w- I want to get a new sports car, honey. I think now's you know <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, so we had some fun with it, but it really the sufferometer ended up being uh, an actually good tool. And you know, part of the thing I was really in the book: some suffering that we go through is habitual. It's a again, we have a neural net laid down. We go into we'll just fall into these patterns of of suffering, and. That basically by by saying oh I'm um, I'm really really bad about this particular business deal I'm trying to do but it's 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 not that big a deal so it was a uh, uh, just again a valuable tool to bring awareness to the to the whole process
0: yeah I I think it's a great tool a great tool by the way we're running short of time but I've got to ask you. What on earth is techno-suffering?
2: Techno-suffering. Yeah, so, you know, we humans have created all this technology to make our life better. And, of course, because of it, everyone's working more and more and more. Um, You know, it turns out that your average uh, peasant in the Middle Ages had more free time than your average white-collar worker does today. Mm -hmm. and so we're all cooked up to these phones and the computers techno suffering is when the 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 technology just drives you crazy like an example is okay you know i got to go somewhere and i'm going to put in 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 my google maps it's going to take me somewhere you bring up go to bring up google maps oh wait a minute my phone upgraded last night automatically so i can't I, I can't access it. So okay, let me pull that up. Oh, now now my old app won't work on the new app, because because there's a new OS going. So let me go. Okay, let me go. Let me go. Bring down the new app. Oh, I can't do the new app because you know. And this one thing triggers. And we've all gone through this with this technology where it gets so complicated and so frustrating. It's like God, I just want to see what my calendar is today so I can do something, and you can't get to it. Because now your Internet's down. So well, techno-suffering is all of this craziness that all the technology we've developed to make our life better has turned its head and is now just
0: driving us all It us upside down, yeah. I've got to cut you off, sir. I'm sorry. It is a great read, a great book. I suggest you all get out and get it. I want to thank you for your book and your work, Will, and for your willingness to share it with us. We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time, same place. And do tell your friends. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters.